0: to do now is i want to spend the rest of our time together looking at 12 values that um, i wrote down by the way i didn't i didn't read a single article a single book a single page to prep for this class and i didn't i did that on purpose because i didn't i don't want to share things with you that aren't true to who i am so i was like i just want to i want this to be an exercise in putting on paper what I've been I want to actually think about my own life in this process and analyze and assess how well I'm doing so I don't want it to be oh this is what such and such said or this is what this person said on it or whatever it might be this is just stuff that I've actually thought about and tried not always with great success but tried to practice in my parenting and my wife's here I haven't even showed her any of this stuff so I hope she's like She agrees with it. Um, Okay, okay. That's fair. That's fair. We'll we'll allow for that. Okay. So, um, number one, my mom told me this many years ago, and it always stuck with me. Um, Pray before they are born, and keep praying that God would save them. It's just like so basic. I remember my mom said to me, so she had her first child before she was a Christian. The other five after she came to know the Lord. She said, I prayed that God by his grace would save every one of my children or not bring them into the world. And a couple of her kids are not living for Christ, but four are. All the boys are, my sisters aren't. Um, But I I think this is a worthwhile prayer for us to pray out of all the prayers we could pray. This is a pretty worthwhile prayer. And it might be that we tend to pray more for our own health or our jobs or successes or whatever, right? I mean, we're even even selfish in our prayers. And overlook something that's like right in front of us. Oh, I got these five kids running around the house. Hmm, Maybe I should be praying for them. So I think it's really important. My wife do this, my wife and I do this all the time. Before we go to bed, we pray together. I would say we probably hit five nights out of seven. Sometimes she falls asleep before me or I fall asleep before her. But most of the time we do pray together before we go to bed. And I would say in most of our prayers, our kids come up. Either for is that not true? So I didn't get a boo on that one. Um, so we pray for our kids. Or we pray for them to pick godly life mates. We pray that there would be godly parents out there raising their future spouses, and that we would be a blessing to those families as well, right? We pray for challenges and struggles that they might be going through. We perceive they might be going through. So praying for your kids is super important, and I'm sure that all of you are committed to that, but I would just say to you that make sure you are. And for those of you that don't have kids yet, or may have more kids. Like, I'm sure Carrie's gonna have seven or eight more. Um, she's already got seven, so why stop now? Um, just pray that the Lord would give you children that would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ at the earliest possible age and live their entire lives for the Lord. What an awesome prayer, right? To be able to raise Christian kids. Secondly, Adopt this mindset. This is huge. What are you raising? You're raising adults. You're not raising kids. They are kids, but you're raising adults. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy the childhood years. I, I think I spent too much of my early life looking forward to the next stage. Oh, I can't wait till I'm this age. It's going to be awesome. And then you're there, this sucks. <laughs> can't wait till I'm this age. It's going to be awesome. Oh, you know. So I'm, I'm into living life in the moment. I think that's really important. Live life in the moment. Enjoy what you have. Enjoy those moments. But you are raising at 20. Are they kids? You're raising adults. You're moving them in the direction of adulthood. So pray. And then mindset. I'm raising adults. i want to talk about this a little bit. Here are some things that I've tried to do in order to make this clear. I, I like to talk to my kids minimally as if they're one year older than they are. I know I never talk down to my kids. If they say, Dad, I don't understand what you just said, that's great. I'm doing my job. I'm putting the cookies on the top shelf. you got to reach for them. I like to treat my kids as being a little bit older than they actually are. Now, you know what that does for a kid? That is a huge demonstration of respect. I remember feeling so respected. As a young man, when my mom would ask me questions, and I'm like, that's an adult question. That's a 16-year-old question, and I'm only 13. And what it does is it helps them to start to think like someone who is older than them. You're always trying to push them up rather than talking to them as if they're little. So talk to them as if they're older. Like uh, expect, kind of taking that to another level, like expect that they have the capability of talking about things beyond what their peers are talking about. And I would hope, by the way, if you were talking to my kids in the hallway, you would see the success of that. That my kids have the capacity to think a little bit beyond maybe what the average, if they're 13, 13-year-old, 13 is thinking. Not because they have a higher IQ. I actually don't have, I don't even think, I have a very high IQ. But what I do have is the ability to think and discern. I think a lot. I just use what I have, even if I'm in my intelligence, to think a lot about things. And so I'm not looking to raise geniuses, but I want to raise kids that are thoughtful, thinking people, that have thought through the issues of life. Second to that, give them responsibilities as early as possible. Do not baby them, okay? This is probably a bit more, I'm just gonna say this, this is probably a bit more of a temptation for you mothers, okay? Do not baby your children. You're not raising babies. Don't talk baby talk to them when they're not babies. Don't put them in baby clothes when they're not babies. <laughs> Don't call them baby names when they're not babies. Give them responsibilities as early as possible. You know what? It is your job to clean up the toy room, and you're going to do it. No. Okay, I'll clean it up for you. Mistake. Okay. Teach them to wash dishes. We were taught hated washing dishes, but we wash dishes. Do want me to tell you a dishwashing story? Mm-hmm. This is a commercial break. Um, six of us, who we are all given responsibilities to wash dishes in pairs. Penny and Aaron, you wash dishes this night. Nate and Steph, this night. Matt and Jay, this night, right? So one person washes, the other person dries. So what do you do if you're washing and drying? Those of you that have multiple siblings. if you're If you're on for drying duty, what do you do? Okay, you do this you wait and the dishes dry themselves (laughs) so your turn to wash you wait an hour and then all you gotta do is put them away but we were brats so we would pour water on the drying dishes (laughs) so that our sibling couldn't get out of doing dishes right gives you a little insight into my sanctification (laughs) Do your kids wash dishes? Do they know how to vacuum? Do you ever send them out and say, go clean up the car, wash the car, shovel the snow, cut the grass? It's kind of weird You get an 18-year-old dude who doesn't know how to fire up a lawnmower. It's kind of weird, right? You got a 20-year-old kid, what's this? It's a flathead screwdriver, right? <laughs> like teaching kids to take responsibility early as possible, I used to teach, Teach technology at for a couple years at Maranatha Christian Academy in the high school. Grade 10 student comes up to me. He's a joker. He says, Dr. Rock, what do I do with this? It's a hammer. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Ha ha ha. He says, no, I've never used one. I'm like, whatever. Come on. Swing the hammer. He had never used one. He's a grade ten. Okay? He could go to war. Never taken a nail, pounded it into a piece of wood, right? But you know what? I bet you most of the kids in this church haven't either because we're just doing everything for them, we're doing everything for them, we're doing everything for them. And they don't know how to use things, they don't know how to take responsibility. Here's a third one, okay. How many of you would consider yourselves mildly emotional? Mildly to highly emotional? Okay, all the women? (laughs) And Phil. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. Because I know there's gonna be an emotional reaction to this. I would recommend you leave them alone as earlier as early as possible. Leave them alone as early as possible. Okay. Starts off with I gotta go to the grocery store, be back in a couple hours. You know, keep the front door locked. If the dog's gotta go let it out, you know, that kind of thing. And then it goes to, you know, mom and dad are going away for the weekend. You're old enough now. You need to Here's your list of responsibilities. Here's who to call if there's a problem. Just do that, right? I met a person recently that was 25 that had never spent a night away from their parents. And I remember when we were... When our kids are really young, talking to a female police officer in our church, and I say, what, what, What's even the law on that? She's like, there, there isn't one. So I said, well, What do you do? So like I start leaving them alone when they're 11. Like, oh, that's earlier than I thought. So that's what we started doing. Now, obviously, if you have a kid with disabilities or something, you don't do that. But um, I would say, as early, and you're thoughtful people, so as early as makes sense and is reasonable, I'm not going to tell you the age, it's good to start leaving your kids home alone, home on weekends, and just getting used to the fact that mom and dad aren't always going to be around. We actually have to like wash the dishes and make craft dinner and turn the furnace down when we leave or whatever it might be. I think it's a huge blessing to them. It might make you feel, this is kind of weird. But it's really important. I remember years ago, Susie and I went out to British Columbia on a church conference, and we were out with a couple of couples there. And how old were our kids at the time? I don't even know. 13 and 10. So we're like five provinces away. These people are like shocked. Are you kidding me? (laughs) What? No, no, no. They order Okay. So they were eighteen. So they so they were eighteen and nineteen. Which makes the reaction even which makes the reaction even worse. That they were shocked by this. So I would say leave your kids home earlier than you probably necessarily might want to do, and that will help them to grow up. Here's the next one. Teach them to give give Save and spend early. Okay. Give, save. Philip, you could just underline this. Spend early. The rest of you underline these. Give, save, and spend early. Um, I was not taught this. I was not taught this. Um, My parents, I would say, were more interested in just kind of freewheeling it with finances. Mom's very generous. But in terms of being taught to give, save, spend, I I just was never taught that. In fact, we were married before I kind of really realized what this was all about. And it's hugely helpful. So this starts now. you got a bucket starts now. Don't wait until they graduate with their Bachelor of Science and are like 22 years old and finally have their first job. Which is probably loser parenting anyway, by the way. So this is what we did with our kit. So Josiah was eight and a half and he got a newspaper out delivering the penny saver. I think he made uh, like 11 bucks a week. Now, even sending my kid out into a snowstorm at the age of eight and a half to deliver his papers was a bit of a challenge for me. At that point I was still with him. You were with he him? And the four kids, right? Okay, okay. So it's good. So I don't remember any of that. So what was I doing? What was I doing? What was I doing? You were teaching up in Cambridge. Oh, okay. I thought you said I was at home watching TV. So um I sit Josiah down. He's got his 11 bucks a week. And I said, um, OK, it costs your mom and I a lot of money to raise you. So we think that it's fair for us to take 90%, and then you take 10% and blow it on whatever you want. Right? So I do the math, right? What's he get? What's that? $1.10 for you know a couple hours' work. I think that's fair. So um, he says, OK, but I didn't like it. But my kids don't say no. So he's like, OK. And then I just kind of let it sink in a little bit. And then I said, but I have a plan B. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, I want to hear plan B. <laughs> so I said, how about this? How about you take your money, whatever it might be? I'm not going to do the math here, but I'm going to say, I want you to put 50% of your income in your piggy bank, your savings account. Okay. Now, this is going to build up over the course of a year or two years or whatever. And if there's some big purchase that you want to make that we think is appropriate, then you come and ask us and we'll negotiate and you can ultimately buy that. But Without our permission, it's staying there for the next thirty years, right and then um forty percent you can spend on whatever you want, except for weed. I actually told him that, okay and not that I was thinking he was going to okay <laughs> um, but you can spend forty percent on chewing gum or you know going to the movies or whatever. But the first thing I told them is you have to tithe 10%. Okay? And I believe that tithing is a pattern. Okay? I'm not going to say it's a rule, but it's a pattern that Melchizedek practiced before the old covenant, that Jews practice under the old covenant, and that Jesus commends in Matthew under the new covenant. So I think it's a pattern. So I said, "You can if you commit to that, notice none of it comes to me. If you commit to that, then I'll let you manage all your money, but if you can't commit to that, then I'm taking 90% because I, I know what I'm going to do with it, okay? So we have encouraged our kids to follow that pattern right from the beginning. Once they get to high school, then this amount is earmarked for college because I'm not paying all their college education. I don't think that's appropriate. I don't think it's helpful. It's culturally commonplace for parents to pay for post-secondary. Personally, I think it's a bad idea. So I make them contribute to that. And that's just kind of how we have set up the finances and encourage the kids to do that. And then now they're, you know, those that have like car insurance, we don't pay their car insurance, we don't buy their first car. So they they, um, pay their car insurance, pay their cell phones, pay their gas and all that kind of stuff. They're responsible for their own budget. But this is how we start them off. Just to kind of get them into those three categories. Give, save, spend, give, save, spend. Do that early on. It's hard to teach a kid when you're like 18 if they've been doing it otherwise. You teach this early on. okay? Um, some cultures, like the culture my wife grew up in, the parents take 80% of the money and then pay your bills. I was talking to Adam, and he also said his parents would take 75%, your parents took 80%. So he had a better deal. But um, they would say, whatever you work, you pay us, you give the majority of your money to us, but then we pay for your school supplies and all that kind of stuff. So that's an option too. But the thing I prefer about this is it puts all the management on them early. puts all the management on them early. Um, One other thing I'll say about finances is I'm not a fan of unearned allowances. I'm not a fan of unearned allowances. So I don't even know if they call them that anymore, but I remember... Growing up, and you'd meet some kid, oh, I got my allowance. What'd you do for it? Nothing. I just get an allowance every week. I'm not, I don't think that's a good idea. Like, why not get something out of them if you're <laughs> going to give them some money, right? <laughs> so unearned allowance, I would say, is a bad idea. Now, what we do, we do give our kids, I think, at 60 bucks a month from government money. That we get this government, what do they call them, like universal tax credits or something, or whatever it is. It's getting a lot smaller as the kids get older. But uh, the kids that still qualify for that, which would be the bottom three, we just say, well, we're going to give that back to you, and you've got to use that for your general living expenses. But that's only probably been in the last six or seven years that we've done that. But unearned allowances, no. Not, not a fan of that at all. I think you should, even if your kid can't find a job, I think it's important for you to make them do certain things to get, if you want to call it an allowance, really, what it is, is it's, a, it's, it's pay. Another thing that I would say helps a kid to move from perpetual childhood to adulthood is um, I would say this is probably one of the most important things I'll say in this entire course is spend a lot of time asking them to evaluate situations, others, and self. Spend a lot of time asking them to evaluate situations, others, and self. I would say this is, next to just finding out about Jesus, the number one, the number one, and then there's like a huge gap to the number two, the number one most important thing that my mother did for me growing up, the number one thing. Asked me a lot of reflective questions. Hey, did you see that over there? What would you think about that? Um, you're, you're watching television. I don't think that's appropriate. Well, Aaron, what do you think about it? Mom would ask me questions, like decision making questions. I'm, I'm thinking that maybe we're going to move to Cambridge. I'm thinking about pursuing some post secondary. Might go to Ottawa, I might go to Cambridge. What do you think about it? Always, always, like daily asking me questions about faith, about decision making, like never letting me get through a day without being part of some decision-making process. Now, The reason why I emphasize that is because I think the tendency is for us to just sort of herd our children through life. You know, like the goat herder, just kind of keeping the troops together, just rallying, come on, get, get through grade two, get through grade three, just move along, you know, let's move forward. And we're never really communicating with them. We're around, we're present, we're prodding, we're feeding, but we're never like pushing them Forward. So asking questions, asking questions about moral situations helps to develop moral conscience in kids. Asking them questions about moral situations helps them to develop moral conscience. When we're home together around the dinner table, and it's increasingly rare because the kids are out and about everywhere, it seems these days, but we, we joke around, we goof around, but we we talk about the challenges that they're experiencing or maybe things that are taking place in our church or things that are taking place at school or things that are taking place in our society you want your kids to be good thinkers and by asking them critical questions even if you already know the answer asking them critical questions helps them to think through the issues so i just do this all the time with my kids I find it amazing how many people, I wouldn't say the majority, but how many people are not introspective. They don't think. I have a discipleship group of uh, young men, they're 17 to 25. Meet with them every other, other Sunday night. This is a new group I started in September, but I had a group last year, and we t- covered all kinds of topics, like all kinds of guy topics. And at the end of it, I said, I, I, I'd kind of like to go around and just hear, so that it helps me for the next group, what do you think is the most beneficial thing we've done this past year? And not the only answer, but the most common answer, probably given by like 40% of the group, was we like the questions you asked us at the beginning of the night. And they were just like random questions. They'd be questions like, um, what would you guys say was the biggest challenge you encountered in the last two weeks? It wasn't necessarily even tied to the topic that night. Um, if you were to be able to do anything with your life starting tomorrow, what would it be? He whatever it might be, it's not, not doesn't even necessarily have to be a significant question. It could be a goofy question. But they said to me, that's the most important thing. And the one guy, when I asked him, why did you say that? He says, well, I just find I spent all my life, all my week doing. He's, he's a, he was working full time. I'm just doing, doing, doing. And I don't always think about myself and my life and my circumstances. A lot of people like that, they're just not thinking. And you gotta teach your children to think. So that's all under this category of raising adults. Here's the third one. Oh, did you go to like number five? No, it's not six or seven, this is all two, okay? I have ten more. I have ten more. And there's a quiz next week on it. All right. Okay. Here's number three Teach them the Bible. Oh, okay, yeah, we'll teach them the Bible. That's not the end of the statement. Okay, teach them the Bible, but discuss it more than you teach it. Okay, discuss more. We're reading the Bible. Now we're going to have like a two-hour discussion about it or whatever it might be. Hey, did you see that in the Bible? Let's discuss it. Why is discussing the Bible absolutely is the essential next very long step after teaching it. What are we aiming for when we teach the Bible? Knowledge? Application. We want to get them to be thinking about application. Okay, I read it. I can read the average verse in like how many seconds? Five? Two? One second? That's not enough time to then apply it. So when you read the Bible and teach the Bible, you then need to spend a lot of time like mulling it over, talking about it, talking about it. So, this is going to sound like totally contrary to probably almost everything you've ever read and heard, but we don't do family devotions. And we really never have. And I can't think of the last time I sat down and read the Bible to my kids. Really? Why? You're a a Christian? (laughs) Won't be back next week. (laughs) Um, My kids know how to read. Read the Bible yourself. Okay. What I'm interested in doing when I am with my kids is discussing the Bible. Okay. My kids can read the Bible themselves, and I ask them, "What are you reading?" And we, I ask them that at least once every five weeks. So, what are you reading, Simon? What are you reading, Levi? okay, I don't need to sit down and read the Bible for you. I mean, maybe we probably sat down and read one of those chintzy little fake Bibles when they were two and couldn't read. But I don't. we don't just sit around reading the Bible. I'm more interested in discussing the Scriptures with my kids when I'm together with them. I get way more mileage out of that. And then we discuss it, discuss it, discuss it. And we're always aiming for application. I want my kids to be applying it. I don't want my kids to just think, oh, what is dad like he expects us to do this and do that what i remember about being raised in dad's house oh he he just read the bible to us how many times have i heard that from christians that are no longer living for the lord what do we do We just read the bible a lot i'm interested in people like thinking about the bible and applying it and discussing it and integrating it so if i have a limited amount of time with my kids we're going to be talking about the bible and they're going to be reading it on their own. And I'm going to be reading my own Bible. I read my Bible every day. I always I've never missed a single day reading my Bible in 25 years. I swear to God. Never once. Doesn't matter what time I come home, doesn't matter how I feel, doesn't matter if I have the flu, doesn't matter what country I'm in, I have never ever missed a day reading my Bible in a quarter of a century. So I'm absolutely committed to that. But I don't read it very often around my kids. When I'm with my kids, we are discussing the things of God, because I want them to be reading it by themselves, okay? So that's three. This is four. (laughs) Look for mentors. Look for mentors. I'm still looking for mentors. So who do I look for? I look for people that are about five years ahead of me that's that's where I kind of find I get the most help. So right now the people that like I zero in on are people with kids that are like 20 to 25. I'm like super interested in them. Watching them how's it working for you? What are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? That's the window. That's I don't I don't need to worry about kids being 40 yet. Okay? I'm I want to figure out How do you parent children that are now adults, that have careers, that are in university, that are maybe married? That is fascinating to me. And those of you with elementary school kids should be looking at couples like Susie and I in our stage of life. And then those of you that have babies or haven't had kids, you're going to be looking at people that have little kids, right? So it's very important for us to have mentors, to have people around us. It doesn't have to be some formal relationship where you call them every Tuesday, but a, some sort of a, a venue where you can look to people that are a little bit ahead of you, you can ask questions of, and you, you don't need to necessarily agree with everything they're doing. You might have some mentors that are doing some things, and you're like, I'm not going to do that. But at least you get something, some template to evaluate and to think about. So do yourself a favor and take advantage of other people's experiences. You know, you, they say you can learn things the hard way or you can let other people learn things the hard way for you. And I just think that there's a lot of wisdom in that. In a church of our size, there's, there's people in every, every age category is covered. So there's people around here that you can befriend and just kind of watch and call and spend time with and invite over for dinner and so forth and so on. Number five, anybody get a little stressed raising kids? Any stress? Stress? Okay. We got one. We got two. Anybody anxious about raising kids? Anybody medicated because you're raising kids? All right. So this has been hugely helpful for me. Um, I would encourage you to read my recent blog article on the difference between responsibility and control. This is really helpful. I'm still trying to learn this. I believe anxiety and stress are much more likely to be part of our lives than we're trying to control life. And controlling life, there's only one person that's qualified to do that, God. We're not qualified to do that. But when we do it, we're actually committing somewhat of an idolatrous slash blasphemous act by trying to do something that only God can do. So you're like, well then how am I supposed to raise kids if I, if I don't try to control the situation? You throw the word control aside and you pick up the word responsibility. Responsibility is a stewardship word. Control is a God word, meaning that it's, that's God's business. And there's a difference between the two. So if you're gonna be a good steward of your life, and for our conversation, we're talking about stewarding children, So I, I believe, yeah, I mean, my kids are genetically from my body and my wife's body. They're genetically from us, but I don't own them. They are separate human beings that carry my DNA and my last name and that we have raised, but they are God's children. So why do I try to control the outcome so much? I don't need to control every aspect of my children's lives. I want to give them direction. I want to be responsible for saying, I think that's right. I don't think that's right. I'm not going to say anything, whatever it might be. I'm going to be responsible. That's stewardship. But when we move into the realm of control, that breeds anxiety and stress. So I just want to encourage you, if, you have a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress in your life, it's probably because you've mistaken responsibility for control, and they are not the same thing. Responsibility is about stewarding what God has given you. Control is about trying to do what only God can do. So let me just say this. I'm teaching this course, right? But I'm not out of the woods yet. And I'm cognizant of that. I'm not out of the woods yet. I haven't got my last kid to adulthood yet. So what if, you know, a week from now, you're like, "Uh uh-oh, there's a big ruckus in the Rock household. We just found out one of them's a part-time drug dealer, right? Or whatever the dramatic event might be. Would I be heartbroken? Yes. Would I be ashamed? Nope. Not at all. Because I'm prepared to stand before an audience of one, and say, given the resources, given the time, given my limitations, I did the best I could. So I, it's, not, it's not like I'm going to crawl into a fetal position and die if one of my children walk away from the Lord. It would break my heart. But at the end of the day, they're not my children. And I think sometimes we take too much responsibility for the outcome. And that's not our job. But we do need to we do need to of course be responsible to steward to the best of our ability what the Lord has entrusted to us. That's what I'm kind of gunning for here. But not trying to control it. Not trying to manipulate the outcome to come up with like the perfect child or something like that. So be responsible. Be responsible. Do not control. And I would say this too. You think about the word control. This is the stuff that breeds rebellious children. This is the stuff. Not every kid is like this. Some kids are naturally passive. But the kid that kind of has that little bit of a challenging personality, most people have one if you have more than one. This is the stuff. If they sense you're trying to control them, they're going to run. At some point, they're going to run. But if you come across responsible responsible people, I'm just a little, more, a little more cool, a little more methodical, a little more vertical, that communicates a different vibe, if you want to use that word, than controlling parents do. Here's number six. I've already kind of touched on this, but um, I want to talk about post-secondary. Okay, post-secondary. So this is number six. Again, these are no particular order. Teach them to save for post-secondary even if you plan to help. I'm going to tell you why. Because by the time they get into post-secondary, they are then adults. Unless you have a kid that skips a bunch of grades. The reason why I think it's a bad idea to pay for and facilitate all of your children's post-secondary education is primarily because they are actually adults then. And what you want to do is you want to parent your kids in such a way that they know that by the time they're 18, you are actually going to think of them and treat them as adults. But the problem is, if post-secondary goes from 18 to 20, or 18 to 22, or you know, whatever path they pursue, the trades, or college, or university, or whatever it might be, what you've actually done if you're providing for all of this and taking responsibility for them is you've now delayed adulthood in practicality to one of these two ages. And that's too late. So I think it's really important, come this age, to say to the kids, so this might sound mildly harsh, but that's not my intention. But I've said to my kids, okay, when you're 18, You are an adult. So what does that mean, Dad? It means now living in our home is a privilege. Now, it kind of always is, but at that point, I would have no problem saying you're out if you're not willing to abide by the family rules, right? At that point, if you were working full-time, you would have to contribute financially in a substantive way to your place here in the home. At that point, you are fully responsible for your finances. At that point, we're not even going to talk about what time of night you're getting home. At that point, you are fully responsible for your dating relationships. I'm not going to be chasing you around and monitoring you on that. You're an adult. So just know that the deadline date is your 18th birthday. And from 18 on, I am going to treat you like an adult. So I remember we had a little fun with this when um, you know, like, boys are like, yeah, bring it on. Girls are a little more like, hmm. So uh, <laughs> Josiah was like... Um, I gave him this whole spiel. Oh, and his first thing was, does that mean I get to call you bro? (laughs) That was all he was concerned about. I said, yes. Call me bro, I guess. So he does on occasion. And I catch myself calling him that too, which is weird. So, if you have the financial means, you want to help your kid in post-secondary, fine. I, personal opinion, think it's a bad idea to pay for it all. And, I think it's 100% a bad idea for your kids to expect for you to pay for any of it. You hear me on that? Mm-hmm. So if you do pay for 75 80% of it, again, I don't think you should pay for it all, 50% of it, the kids should be like, wow, thank you. Not, oh, I just assumed this is always the way it was going to be. Right? So um, just take that and uh, use it as you see fit. Number seven, allow them to work early. Okay, The earlier they can get a job, the better kid I think you're going to end up with. The earlier they can work, the better kid. Not in all ways, there's other things to consider. But allow them to work early. So early jobs would include things like... uh, you know, delivering flyers, babysitting, cutting the neighbor's grass, those kinds of things that don't require a social insurance number and, you know, a mode of transportation and all that. We've really tried to encourage all of our kids to do that as soon as they possibly can, like how soon? As soon as someone will hire them. If they'll hire them at six, cut the grass, right? Get them cutting the grass. If they have to wait to the old, ripe old age of eight to cut the grass, just make sure you're wearing hard-toed shoes <laughs> on a hill. So working early. I think this is really, really, really important. How many people here have met individuals who have graduated from university and are literally looking for their first job? I would never hire someone like that. Okay? They would go to the bottom of the list. And I talk to employers who increasingly are frustrated with, and it's not the, we're not just going to trash millennials. Well, yeah, we are because Carmine's here. (laughs) So, but it's not the millennials' fault, but the problem is the parents have raised them them and coddled them and coddled them and coddled them and coddled them years and years beyond where most other generations throughout all of history would have already considered them to be adults and independent. Like we've like delayed maturity for so, 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 like years after You know, in the old days, people were getting married young and going to work and going to war. And we're like, oh, no, no, just years. And let's let's add like seven, eight, ten years to that. So my dad was a platoon chief for the St. Thomas Fire Department. And they hire a guy fresh at a firefighter's college and never really had a job. And dad's out in the bay, and he's checking the tire pressure on one of the fire trucks. And this 25-year-old guy or whatever it was comes up. He's like, what are you doing, Dave? Checking the tire pressure. Oh, what's that? I had no idea what that even was and then you just hear other things of employers that are hiring people in their early to mid-20s that have no idea they should show up to work on time if they don't show up to work on time they might actually get fired really just basic skills working hard not taking things from work home i would i would say this to you if this is helpful think of work as part of their education think of work as part of their education this is hugely helpful because like oh my kids got four courses they're in grade 11 great they have a fifth course now their fifth course is they're working at tim hortons or something i would rather my kids get b's and c's with work experience than straight a's and no work experience any day of the week a students do not rule the world folks b and c students rule the world ask around Hey, okay, ask around so part of a good education is getting them to start to do some of the things they will be doing for the next like 50 years get them out working if you if you have to hire them hire them put a little money aside and pay them but they have you know hours they have to do this they have to do that and if they don't they get fired this is really, really important. Get kids working and managing their own money. View it as part of their education. I'm telling you, hands down, I'm, if you ask me, like, how certain are you about this? Like, way over 100%. Okay? Get kids working early. You'll, you'll be hugely blessed by it. Okay, number eight. Get them involved in life-giving ministry. Get them involved in life-giving ministry. What would some life-giving ministries include? Okay, obviously you want them to be in church, but life-giving ministries, I'm talking about things that are like out of the norm, out of the routine, things that tend to just really charge up a young person's battery, spiritual battery. They would include sending them to camp or sending them to be a camp counselor at a camp or encouraging them to serve or attend a day camp or encouraging them to be regular in a youth group or encouraging them if they're musical to be in the church's youth band I'm telling you these are massive 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 influences upon young people's lives I don't know from a human obviously from a god perspective god oversees everything but if god were to be like Aaron I'm going to give you like a percentage of credit for how your kids have turned out. And you can share it with Susie. Okay, maybe he'd give us like 50% of the credit. I think the other 50% of the credit goes to this church. I think it goes to the Sarah Plachinskis and the Jay Pickerings and the Richard Hazards who have come here year after year on a Thursday night and trained our kids in the worship ministry. I think it goes to the Blake Hills and the other youth leaders we've had around here who have ministered to our kids on Tuesday nights and Friday nights and taken them on retreats year after year after year after year. It goes to them. I have seen my, I I was out with Simon yesterday, today's Tuesday, right? Yes, I was out with him yesterday. And I asked him this question in preparation for this class. I said, how influential has the youth band and worship been in your spiritual development? It's just like huge, huge. It's huge. And this is why I would drop any sports team, any extracurricular activity, any trip to the library, not that we do that, any trip to the library, any Netflix show that we're binging on any day of the week to make sure my kids are in one of those life-giving ministries. Now, most of my kids happen to be musicians. I don't know why we're really not, but they thrive on that. But I also love seeing them serve in the summers in day camp. I love seeing them going on retreats. I love seeing them come back with their spiritual batteries recharged. Levi was even sharing the other night how I actually asked him, what is what would be one of the most Spiritually formative things that have ever you've ever been to, and he's like, It was when you took me to harvest you a couple years ago. Just just blew him away. Like, I love that. Okay, but the problem is if you don't create space in your schedule to get your kids involved and stuff like that because you think one more night at the ice rink is going to make the ultimate kid, I, I just think, beloved, you're making a big mistake. Those life giving ministries. We'll just have such an integral part of shaping them. So I, I'm not opposed to other things. I'm not opposed to other extracurriculars. I mean, life has a lot of variety to it. I, I love, like I have more, I've had more hobbies than anybody I know. Ask my wife, yeah. okay? And I'm just a curious mind. I love learning things and there's always like two or three things that I'm just all into. But I would pick those things 10 times out of 10 if there was ever a conflict between that and all of the extracurricular things, which may not innately be bad, but I just, they're not life giving. They just don't, they don't give life. But those things give life. So I'm super thankful. It takes a village to raise a child. I love seeing my kids interact with other people in the church. I am so blessed that both my sons and my daughters have adult friends in our church that they actually hang out with, they do like sleepovers with and stuff. And I'm just so thankful for that, that my kids have a people speaking into their lives outside of their mother and their father. Number nine, praising your kids for what matters. Praising your kids for what matters. So remember the exercise we did early on? What's your preferred future? You got that down? Anytime you see your kid demonstrating the fruit of discipleship, you should be all over that. I'm proud of you for having done that. What a great job serving today. And I am so thankful that you told me about that time when you shared your faith with your friend. Hey, thanks for inviting your friend to church. I want to let you know you've exercised a lot of discretion in your re- relationship with the opposite sex. Hey, you know what? I've noticed you're tithing regularly. Way to go. That's the stuff. 90% of the compliments I give for my kids should, coming out of my house, should be around the stuff that is our marks of a disciple, not, you know what makes me so proud? Oh, that report card, oh, oh so precious. Right? But do we not fall into that trap sometimes? We're like actually emotional about a friggin' report card. But we're not necessarily emotional charged when we see our kids sharing their faith. And that, that imprints on them what your priorities are, parents. That tells them what your priorities are. So when you communicate something, as I'm doing right now, emotionally, and I'm doing it because I'm feeling it, that says this is important to this person, and that imprints in them. So I would say that if you have a clear understanding of what a follower of Jesus Christ is, in your own way, compliment and praise your kids for what matters. It doesn't mean... You can never praise them for temporal things, but don't be as dramatic about it, and don't be as habitual about it, and don't be as often. Don't do it as often as you would praise them for disciple uh, issues that relate to the characters and virtues of Christ being lived out in their lives. Now, of course, all of life is, you know, about stewardship. So, if a person is gifted in math and they can use that to the glory of God, we're all into that. Hey, way to go! Wait. I just say to my kids, look, I'm not super concerned with like grades and those kind of successes. What I want to know is, are you doing your best? Given, okay, not just your best, because you can't do everything to your best. Are you doing your best given everything else that you're doing? And so if they're not, then I crack the whip. So I cracked the whip with one of my kids recently. I'm like, if you don't up your game in this area, it's like no TV for a year, okay? Well, I know they're going to, up their game, because a year is a long time. <laughs> Number 10. Um, I'm not even putting all these down, but uh, let's talk about fun. Have a lot of fun. Christian homes should be fun homes. They should be fun places. We're not serious all the time. We may even be mildly sacrilegious on occasions. It's important to joke around with your kids. It's important to appropriately hear this, allow them to tease you. That's really important. Don't be all defensive about that. My kids like, Dad, you're going bald. But I remember all the time, Dad, you got such a big nose. That was to our dad. Dad, your nose is huge. It looks like a parrot. You know. And so we did that. My dad always just, ha, oh, ha, whatever. you'll get one one day, too." And so I just kind of do that with my kids too. You're going bald, "Oh, well, you will too, one day," or I'll run up and so, say, you know, run your fingers through it. it's much thicker than it looks, or you know whatever it might be, right? Like just allow for people to tease you. And then, I thought, I thought about this like three or four times whether I should write this down, but I decided I'd go for it. Um, teach them to be able to joke about their own areas of sensitivity. So I'm not even totally sure if I should illustrate this, because some of you don't know me really well, and it might sound like kind of odd. But like I I tell my daughters, you're beautiful, I love you, you're beautiful, I love you, and I kiss them. And I tell my sons, you're awesome, like all the time, right? Is that true, Susie? Like I am very verbally and physically affectionate to all my kids. I do it like all the time, like incessantly. So, because of that, sometimes I might jokingly say to one of the girls, oh, you're kind of ugly. Or one of the boys, you're such a weakling and a wimp. But they totally know it's a joke, depending on the context, because I've told them like a thousand times the truth about what I think of them. But once in a while I deliberately tease them about their physical appearance or their intellect or something like that, you know why I do it? Because I don't want them to be so sensitive to ridicule and criticism and all that kind of stuff. Like, people that are like that struggle more than people that are just kind of, can let things roll off their back a little more, right? So that's one of the things I do appreciate about my dad is he jokes around. Some people would say he takes it like, way too far. <laughs> my wife would say that, and I would agree with her on that. But one of the things I do appreciate about that is he taught us, like, don't be so sensitive about everything. right? And you know, we're not into bullying. But a lot of what's called bullying today is not bullying at all. It's people being too sensitive to things. Like, when you say something negative to someone, that can actually be a positive part of their overcoming social awkwardness. Like, being kind of told that's a stupid thing to do is kind of helpful for a lot of people, especially junior high-age boys, right? (laughs) But that's kind of dumb. And feeling kind of like, Un- embarrassed enough not to repeat it is a healthy part of growing up um but it's also healthy for for people to be able to like banter and receive a little bit of criticism here and there and not not like wilt and just kind of fall apart and be so have their like emotional um what would you call it like thermometer rise and fall based upon the opinions of other people so i think goofing around being humorous joking teasing each other's with teasing each other with caution sometimes we cross the line is really important in terms of having fun too i'm a big believer in group time and individual time so most of our group time is probably like around the table for dinner but individual time is really important too so um three years ago what would you say four years five years Okay. So four years ago, I thought, you know, probably because Josiah was in grade 12. I'm like, hey, he's, just, he's getting old. He's growing up so fast. He's, he's, he's going to move out soon. And um, early on in my life of this church, I was like super busy. It's like when we bought this place, I was doing like 80-hour weeks. It was kind of like an absentee dad. And I just kind of convicted about that. And I've kind of structured the church in such a way my life's way more normal. So as the kids are getting older and I've created more time for myself, I thought, you know, I think it would be a worthwhile investment to be more like deliberate in spending time with my kids' individuals. So what I do is on Monday nights, I take one kid out like on a rotating schedule. And I'm not legalistic about it. Like it probably, in a five-week schedule, there's probably a me- week we miss because we're away or it's a holiday Monday or something comes up or whatever else. But as a, as a general rule, so last night, Simon and I were out. And then that means next week's Daddy Abby night, right? And then so forth and so on. That's been hugely helpful for me as a dad, just to spend time with my kids. What do we do? I don't know. We go to Tim Hortons. We go to Starbucks. We go to a movie. We walk through the mall. We go for wings. Whatever it might be. It, it varies. And what I do is we just kind of hang out. Just chat. Drive around. Have an ice cream cone, whatever it might be. But I generally ask about three standard questions. Something in the realm of what's going on in your spiritual life? Like, are there any struggles right now? And I don't allow just, I don't allow like one word answers. Like, we actually have a conversation about that. And then usually something in the realm of what are you reading in the Bible? Like, what book are you in? And then generally something around uh, what can I pray for or. Um, you know what's one of your biggest challenges, which tips them off the fact that I'm going to pray for it, or it could be an issue that maybe Susie's raised, or we've talked about. I'm going to I need to talk to the kid next time I'm out about that issue. That has been hugely helpful for our family, for me to, as a father to just invest in them and just take that little bit of time um, on Mondays to invest in our kids and just ask questions. So. Could your kids pull the wool over your eyes? Of course. Could they lie? Of course they could. But I would say assume the best. It's just a great way to invest in your kids and to get into their heads and to find out what's going on and to kind of keep track of what their challenges are. So if you have one kid, it's probably not going to be every Monday night, but you might want to do it like every third week or something like that. However many kids you have, just kind of create some sort of a little schedule and throw some money into your budget to make that work. That would be number 10. Okay? Let's get rid of some of this. i got a couple more. All right. So number 11. I'm going to write this one out. Okay. So I've written down, patrol the center, advise in the perimeter. What I mean by that is if your goal is to raise disciples of Christ, then you need to figure out what are the core issues. You can draw a circle. What are the core issues to being a disciple of Christ? I want to hear from you. Just like one word answers. What are some of the core issues? Disciple of Christ is? Salvation. Salvation. Serving. Serving. Commitment, worshiping, giving, prayer, selfless. All right, this is core. You know, our our thing at the church here is worship, walk, and work for Christ, right? So however you want to put it, that's core. Do you know what the core issues are? You should know what the core issues are because you're followers of Christ. Then we have all kinds of peripheral issues. These include... Schooling choices. Do I homeschool, go to Catholic school, private school, Christian school, no school? Maybe that's not a great idea. Um, How often should you brush your teeth? When should you get a haircut? What's a good time for a curfew? I don't know. You know, all the other things that come up, what's your diet like, all those kind of things. Those are perimeter issues. These are core. I patrol these. I do not patrol these. I advise on these. I do not patrol these. So, I stress this because I've noticed over the years that some parents don't differentiate between the two, and they patrol out here. Okay? No problem. They patrol out here. I don't really have conversations with my kids about curfews. I just don't. So, how do we handle that? We generally give parameters. Or we say, you know, it'd probably be a good idea to be home by this time. But if you're like 15 minutes late or half an hour, early, I'm not gonna, who cares? It's kind of around the time you should be home. Or I'll say to them, um, you don't have a curfew until you break it. Right? So if you exercise general wisdom and discretion and you're kind of being thoughtful about it, fine. I wish they brushed their teeth more. I don't ground them for it. I wish some of them, one of them, didn't like junk food so much. But, and I tease them and harass him and bully him about it. <laughs> yeah, same as Josiah. <laughs> but I don't enforce it. Like, I don't freak out about stuff like that, right? So think about, if this is discipleship, I would say spend like 90% of your time on this and you're advising out here. So, things to do with your education, school, grades, extracurriculars, performance in sports, personal hygiene, clothing, you know, whatever it might be. Give a lot of advice and like you can be straightforward with them, but I wouldn't be like disciplining my kids for stuff like this very often. I wouldn't be spending a lot of mental time on that. This is where I want to focus. I want to focus on the bullseye. If I think they're sliding in any area to do with their worship, walk, or work for Christ, that's when I'm going to be like all in. And again, what that does, that not only helps, not only reflects the fact that you're focused, but it reinforces in their mind what really, 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 really matters. So that's really important. So, strong issues. The way you speak, your obedience to Christ, giving, dating, working, church life. Lesser issues. Curfews, grades, sports teams, extracurricular. Those are lesser issues. Finally, this is number 12. Help them to fall in, no, out of love with the world. Help them to fall out of love with the world. We're gonna have to change this up in 20 years because the expressions of falling in love with the world are probably a little different now than they were when we were growing up, and they're gonna probably change again. But I would say, like, big things would be, of course, social media. Okay, social media. I hope that you are very proactive in this area because if you are not, you probably have a kid that has already gone sideways. Now, I know a lot of Christian parents aren't proactive for the simple reason that my kids tell me, because they have your kids on social media. And should it not be mildly disturbing when um, inappropriate sexual pictures are on kids' Instagram or Snapchat when the F word is on their posts incessantly and there doesn't seem to be anything being done about it at the home. And I doubt it's because the parents are okay with it. I think it's because parents are just not paying any attention to it. So, like, is it, like, necessary for a kid to have Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook to grow up to be a disciple of Christ? Any of us have that? The over-30 crowd? We never had that. Um, we never had the internet. I went to college with a typewriter. Mm-hmm. It had a little screen on it. You could pre-type like two lines. <laughs> print, right? um, we were married before we got our first 14.4 modem. A little flashing light in your desk. right? And, and a web page took like how long to load up? Like a week? <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, generations of people have been brought up without that stuff. But it's just so weird that kids nowadays think, well, you we absolutely have to have one of these and be connected to everything that it gives you access to. When Simon was in grade nine, he's like, all, he didn't care because he's like a foot taller than everybody. But he's like, they all, they're all teasing me. I'm the only kid in my grade that doesn't have a phone. Like, because you can't afford one. <laughs> all right so now he has like a hand-me-down it has no plan on it but um the you can access like raw pornography on all of these through all of these venues folks and if you don't know that you're not being a responsible parent and then you you got um kids that are exposed to bullying and all that kind of stuff on these through these venues and if you're just like ah My kid goes to youth group. He's not going to look at porn. Like, really? Or my kid's not going to be bullied or terrorized online or be approached by a predator. Like, really? Yeah, they will be. Guaranteed. So uh, I'm not like an expert in social media and how all that stuff works, but I have enough of a knowledge to say nobody uses Safari in our home on their iPhone. That's deleted. That's like locked down, not on my phone. My browser is Covenant Eyes. And so my only access to the internet is through Covenant Eyes. And Covenant Eyes then is going to help my accountability partner to see where I've been and what I've done. I'm not going to like trust myself in my flesh in a weak moment. I'm certainly not going to trust someone that's 30 years behind me in the faith to figure it out. So these are the kind of things. And then we have the conversation. So I'll just I'll ask the kids. I don't care if it's a boy or a girl. I don't treat it any differently. If it's my son or my daughter, I'm going to ask them questions about their sexuality. If they're dating, like, I want to know about your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Whether you are or aren't, are you looking at anything online that's inappropriate? No. Are you being serious? You know, I I push in to try to determine, like, are they being truthful with me? And then, of course, I like the fact that they're pastor's kids because i know your kids will rat them out <laughs> if um you know if they if they were to post something inappropriate and i'm sure at times they they have made mistakes in that area and um so you have to be proactive in that area and then like tv netflix all that kind of stuff music all the stuff that we had to think about when we were kids kids still have to think about that now these things are not innately bad but few people are mature enough at like 14 to build all the parameters to be able to guard themselves against all of those venues for evil to be pushed on them. So you just have to have those conversations. You have to be proactive. You might have to pay some subscriptions, some protective software. You might have to delete some stuff. You might have to take some phones away and smash them. And When I had the iPhone 3, I never had a password on it like the entire time I owned it. But I have passwords on these because my banking's on here. But I would just say that if you don't know the password to your kids' phones, that's an error. You should have the password. If I ever open your phone, the password has been changed, I get the ball peen hammer out. That's you're done. So Make sure that you're being proactive in helping your kids not to fall in love with the world. And part of not falling in love with the world is making sure you're not in love with the world. And then communicating those virtues and values to them and trusting that the Lord will also work in their heart in a similar way.